0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this live episode of To the Moon, Allison, where we talk about the top and trending works in science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction, and romance. I'm your host, Allison Martine Hubbard, and I'm joined today by Rachel Berenbaum, whose book launches today. So happy book birth, book bu- birth, birthday launch day! to Atomic Anna. And I just see, I don't I don't like this, hold on. That's much better, isn't it? I just realized <laughs> it's more of the book. Otherwise we're these tiny little faces. And Rachel, welcome to the show. And do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and this amazing book, Atomic Anna, which launches today? Mine is an ARC copy, but they're available for everyone now. Yes, here we go. <laughs> I will pull off of my, yours. Stuff
1: there. there we go. That's the final nice. version. Woo! It's beautiful. It is. I oh tried to
0: like gosh. match the fractals. I mean, I always I do in my it. background. So that's I love it. Me. But I tried to in my outfit too. I'm like. I don't have anything in these colors but now I want something in these colors. <laughs> I yeah. love it. How really cool. beautiful. Tell yeah. us about it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So, Atomic Anna is the
1: story of three generations of women who work together to build a time machine and stop the Chernobyl disaster. And then as they go along, um what they realize is actually they need to save their own family. Uh, Right. And work on themselves before they can do anything like stop Chernobyl. So the story has love and science and it's really this family
0: saga that spans almost 100 years. It's it's honestly one of those few books that is hard science fiction because I read a lot of sci-fi, but a lot of times we get into science fiction where it happens because we say it's science, but there's really no science involved. And there's so much science here that I'm going, I kept checking your webpage to go. So is she a nuclear physicist? And it says you're an editor, you're a researcher, (laughs) you used to be a hedge fund manager. I you spin, I don't know how physics fits into all this, but it was amazing. And then I'm sitting there going to my husband, going, is there such a thing as a graviton? I know this is where the book has exceeded my own STEM background, which is not nearly as much as I think it is. <laughs> so, but, but it's hard science, but it still has heart. And I don't know if I've ever read another book that really handles both expertly the way this one does. So, I mean, my hat's off to you. I don't wear a hat so that, that there's not, <laughs> but, but tell us you. How, how you came up with just the whole starting concept. Like, did you want to be doing a, a time travel book or a family book, or did you just go, this whole thing just needs to happen because there's no other way to approach something as big as as Chernobyl?
1: <laughs> I mean, so I have been obsessed with this question of what is time since my very <laughs> first philosophy class in college. And um, this professor walked in and she said, you know, what is time? And I was like, this is the stupidest class I've ever been to, <laughs> right? <laughs> the college level course? Come right, on. right. I was like, really? Yeah. Um, but then she said, you don't know seconds, minutes, hours. We just made all of that up. That is a construct. construct. Yeah. (laughs) We just, we agreed on it, but it is not something that exists in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, why? Why do we care about time? And I've just been obsessed with that ever since. And turns out um, that Einstein was also obsessed with time, right? And I found him and a lot of what he thought about. And he started off famously working in the patent examiner's office on machines that would be used to synchronize clocks. So, you know, back in the day, you started to run trains from one city to another. You needed to agree on a schedule. So yes. you could say, you know, get ready for the four o'clock train or the 405 train or whatever. And four it is. is the same every place. like Right. And you have to have right important. synchronized yeah. clocks. So he's spent his days looking at these machines, right? These pneumatic tubes, all these crazy ideas. And then he comes across this idea or he comes to the idea, actually, to synchronize clocks, we need to use light. And... um I just thought this was an unbelievable realization, but he started in the philosophy of what is time and why do we care about this? And so it really really tackled that in my own way in A Bend in the Stars, my first book, um, which really went with the first part of relativity. And then I'm still stuck on relativity and these <laughs>
0: questions of time, right? Like they're not easy. These are big no, and, questions. And John, the whole idea of like unified field theory, it's not something that's resolved. So I think there's a lot of room for authors to get in there and go, let me take my take on it before there's actual resolve science, because there's no one to correct you because the scientists don't know yet either. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. So, you know,
1: Atomagana goes along to Einstein's later ideas and his later thoughts and time travel and his idea that only physicists, like, right, there is no difference between the past, present, and the future. It's all happening at once. And so, you know, I I just thought, that's amazing. And I
0: want to write about it. Yeah. And I love time travel books anyway. So there we go. And I I have this really weird love-hate relationship with time travel because I'm like, On one hand, it's impossible. And I I love to read them and go, this is all the reasons why it cannot work. But I always love seeing how it does work in time travel and the different takes on it because no two authors have the exact same approach and no two movies handle it the exact same way. And I will watch, oh, is there a bad time travel movie? I'm watching it. I don't care how poorly acted it is. You do And And then I sit there and go, okay, so this whole part. And that's half the fun, but I don't know if you've seen um, The Atom Project. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So okay. there are there are parts where I'm going. So this is basically a much more simplified americanized although slightly Canadianized too, because Ryan Reynolds is the one running around. It had some similar themes where family was at the heart and where it's like, we've got to look at our own family rather than necessarily just looking at a whole idea of history as as the thing to be corrected. To. Like maybe it's our family. So I, I do recommend the very silly movie, mostly if you just want to see both Ryan Reynolds and a child pretending to be Ryan Reynolds, because that's all you're going to get. Don't expect anything where you're going, my mind is blown. This is the newest, most... Interesting idea ever. It's not, but it's on Netflix. So there you go. But so you ended up with a family here who are Soviet immigrants, and some of them are American born and do- dealing with all of that. I'm sure you had absolutely no idea what was going to be going on in the world when you started writing this to go, hi, hey, you know what, that's kind of in the news right now. And hey, Chernobyl, that's in the news too. I don't, I don't know if you had a time machine to know that, to be like Christian, to know. (laughs) Well, if I did have the time machine, you wouldn't know. No, that's true. That's true. You would have erased all. And I'd be like, oh, well, the timeline has now fixed itself. And I don't remember any of this. Yeah. No, 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 no.
1: Um. Yes. I mean, it is crazy, the coincidence and the timing, um, you know, and Putin has literally seized a doomed power plant. Right. And <laughs> his on this terrible, terrible war that is happening in Russia. Uh, but my family roots are there. My grandparents, my great aunts all came from that area of the world. And so um,
0: I've always been obsessed with it. <laughs> mostly well, I figured because- there was a personal reason and you weren't just like, you know what, I kind of like the whole Chernobyl thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. No, no. I mean, I grew
1: up, they came from there and they all said it was the most horrible place in the world. Mm-hmm. And we weren't allowed to talk about Russia. We weren't allowed to talk about the Soviet Union. We We're allowed to speak anything but English in my house. And I had to learn French because being like speaking French means that you have arrived, right? You're-
0: Wait, wait. The, how is, where did you arrive with the French? I'm sorry. I'm trying to follow that. It means you've
1: arrived. So Russian yeah. nobility, the czar, right? They all, in the court, they all spoke French and yeah, French was, has always been you know, the, the language of the elite or whatever. I mean, these are my grandparents, right? Born in like 1900. These are ancient ideas. We're not talking about (laughs)
0: modern. No. no. Well, and, and unfortunately I, I have very limited understanding of French government of russian government and most of it has come from the great and i'm guessing most of that is not accurate it's <laughs> yes. definitely yes. not accurate but again when when nicholas throws something down nicholas Holt back there and says touche and they're like no that's touche it's like okay you think you even know french you don't so right. hopefully right. you at least knew it was touche and not touche well, your french was better all right that's yeah. good
1: But I mean, so I grew up thinking this was a terrible area of the world. And so, you know, when Putin invaded, the rest of my family was like, we told you.
0: We told (laughs) you never to go there. Right? Yeah, well... You're you're glad probably that you're not having to be there right now, but just the ideas of, hey, this is a place where it's gone through these different changes. And one of the ideas you come back to, though, because there are characters who are going, well, the government has changed, but it's still the same people at the top, which I thought yeah. is a, is an idea bigger than any particular government, that even with the change, some of the same people still end up on top. And how does that impact people trying to go, am I safe to go somewhere now? Or are they still looking for me because I'm still, I've got a target painted on my back. Best to pretend I'm dead. Which sometimes works, not so much if someone figures out you're not. But I, I love don't... that you picked that up. What a careful <laughs> read! Thank you. Well, you. you know, it it is the kind of book that okay, it's it's a good sized book. The font is not huge, you guys. Probably can't see it because I've got 75 lights on here to make sure I'm not in the dark. This book is is definitely not a, a book you can just buzz through, and not because it isn't super engaging, because it is. But when you we go back and forth between multiple narrators, multiple timelines lots of science in there, but not so much that it's inaccessible, because doesn't know as much science as she thinks she does right here. <laughs> never, never got lost in it. And but I I did mark certain places because I'm like, Oh, I want to look this up, or I want to ask you about that. Or is that real? Or it's just so perfectly written, some of your ta- concepts about time, especially that I wanted to go back and look at them again. And not a lot of books that are about time travel actually have that level of science and that level of I just want to say attention to detail where you really want to go back to those things. You just bust them because they're fun. They're like cotton candy. But this is this is not a cotton candy book, even with the colors. That, that's kind of cotton candy right right there. That's but it's not that's not that's not this kind of book, but it's not a textbook. It's not a tome where you're like, well, these are some really dry concepts, because honestly, this is a book about family and the book about these these women and there's comics involved and if you guys aren't following rachel on instagram or on twitter you need to, you need to because there are pictures so can you tell us who drew these pictures to give us atomic anna mighty minerva and and rice what Rocky is it? Risa. Risa. I'm like why am i blanking on the first part of, of rice i mean they're hard names yes thank Risa's, you it's the rocket part i couldn't remember like rocket raccoon but it's rice not a raccoon that's right. right. It's right. like I
1: served up the question to you, but yes. I did not. <laughs> Thank you. I love this question. So, um, you know, Molly, the middle generation in the book, she is a comic book artist, and she's really inspired by Trina Robbins, who is the mother of the women's comics movement. And Trina's a real person. She's absolutely a real person. Okay. She's we read know, the, book. the book. Yes. Yeah. She has read the book. I she loved book. it. Yes, oh. I I know, I sent her a copy. It was like the best email I ever got when she wrote back and was like, I loved your book. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be in
0: your book. Yes. Instead no, of uh, like, you. Ms. Veramom, Mom, you're going to, need to remove all traces of my name.
1: Yeah, so. no, no, no. I know, then I would have been so crushed because it was already... Like, yeah, it was already sent out. But no, nope, she <laughs> loved it. She loved it. Um, so I was really happy about that. But anyway, so she's a real character. And Molly in the book um, is a made up character who uh, worships Trina Robbins and wants to be like her and wants to draw. And uh, so I talk about this comic book that she comes up with, with the three characters and how she uses it to communicate be- with her mother and her daughter, right? As she time travels um, yeah. and her father eventually also. Um, so there's this whole idea of the comic book in here. And when I finished the book, I was, you know, I just thought, what? If I could find some artists to draw them. And I love new writers and I love new artists. So I reached out to Kelly Sue DeConnick, who's like a modern day Trina Robin, Ma, Robbins. She's like this amazing. Do you know her? I don't know if you. I follow don't. I don't like. I I follow Jeez.
0: comics just barely enough okay. to go. I know some of the big names and some of the authors I've interviewed actually also do comics. So it's like yeah. you're one who had somebody else do them, but I've had some who they they write them they and have them. someone else draw them. So like I've had we've had Jason Starr on Vox Vomitus and um, Ben Percy does both. So I don't think I even realized until I started interviewing authors how many authors do both genres, where it's like, oh, yeah, this made me become a lot more concise, because I only had a bubble this big, right. and that changes your writing, but, but yours, it's like it mentions comics, but it isn't a comic itself, so that's a different right. take
1: on it. Right. So I got in touch with Kelly Sue DeConnick and I said, mm-hmm. you know, I love new artists and I, my book is all about strong women and I would love to find some women to draw my comics. Can you help me? And she runs this project, Visible Women. And so she hooked me up with her database and these people. And so I found um, Angela Wu and Emily Rhee and they drew the comics and they are amazing. And they so are. they're my imagined characters. And so I've just been putting them out there slowly. Um, and it's so much fun to push out other people's work, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: like- it's this beautiful hybrid because you're like this is how I imagined it but you know it, uh, I personally can barely draw a stick figure. my kids come up to me like I need you to draw I'm like nope rocket looking at the wrong parent go talk yeah. to your dad he can maybe <laughs> do something um, stick figures yeah. yeah yeah well having someone else and then that's their skill set and their gifting and watching the two things come together is like <sighs> I love it yeah, and supporting women artists, and these yes. are young women
1: who are looking for work. Right, it's still hard for women to get paid in the comics business, yes. in the books business, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm well, so excited. Is. Yes, I'm so excited to have them out there. So uh, yeah, so you can check them out, and they're on my Instagram. And then now I've had people asking me if I would turn the book into a graphic novel. So yeah, it
0: would be it would be about five times. Bigger than- let <laughs> a long, cut out big part. But you know what? It's a it's a project that I'm sure people would want to do because there are people who that's their favorite medium and. Why not? I mean, yes. I have no problem with it. I'm definitely in the camp of graphic novels are valid reading. And I love that. I don't know if you're aware of some of the younger books that are coming out for kids. Like the Babysitter's Club has all been adapted to being graphic novels too. So it's kind of weird wow. me seeing my oldest daughter. I'm like, oh, you're reading Christy's Big Idea. Oh, let me see what Christie looks like. Oh, that's cool. I, I always <laughs> picture Christy looked like me because I thought I was Christy. So she doesn't really look how my headcanon works. But I understand that not all main characters are supposed to look like me. That's just the you know, <laughs> Centrism at its worst, but oh, I, I did love that aspect because again, I feel like there's almost this divide between real science fiction and then like comics, and you marry them where it's like no, no, and even just the characters' opinions of what Molly or as she was originally named Manya, it's like oh, too Soviet. Cannot name her. She's Molly now. She's American. Changing her name. Yeah. She probably has to speak French too. No, she does. They never. They never learn French. That's why that threw me off. I'm like French we're we yeah. getting the French, yeah. but the whole, the whole idea of the parents having their own traumas, this generational trauma to tell you, okay, you can't do the thing that you want to do because not that we don't think you're good enough. Although that was never really expressed until way too late. But the idea of, we need you to do the thing that is going to be safe. It's going to be secure. It's going to be something where you can have a living because you don't know what it's like to really be hungry, to really not have anything, to be fleeing in the middle of the night. And we don't want you to know those things. And so we're just not going to talk about this wall right here. Just not going to talk about anything on that side. So we're just going to have this close. And I feel like that is so true for so many generations, for so many families where there's trauma on the other side and then there's awful behavior on this side as far as bad communication between parents and children because the wall of of trauma really prevents them from explaining this is why I'm like this. This is why I'm trying to steer you this way. And I don't I hope you didn't experience that personally, or maybe you knew other family members who did, but you tapped into that so perfectly. Where did that come from for you? Um where did which part come from? Any of it. The whole, the whole idea of like this generational trauma separating and making this communication being a bad thing. Like, okay, we aren't going to talk about what happened in Russia. We're not going to talk about Baba Anna. We're not going to talk about anything that happened back there. And no, you're just going to do math, whether you like it or not, because. The idea of being an artist, that's not good. So it's the, it's the combination of the generational trauma hitting career choices and life choices for the next generation and limiting those choices. Is that yeah. something you experienced or is that something you knew people who
1: experienced? I mean, so my family, right, they came over from Russia yeah. and um, put up the wall. We were not allowed yeah. to talk about it, right? As I said, mm-hmm. not allowed to speak Russian. So, you know, I always wondered what happened there. But also, when you think about parenting more generally, there are things yeah. you're never
0: going to tell your children right? They are just never going to know the first time you did this or that, right? You're just not right. Or you have to figure those things out because I know, for example, I'm, I'm married, but I was divorced before. And my kids are all from my, my second marriage and having to figure out like, at some point I need to let these children know that, but I don't want them to make them feel unsafe in the family they're in now, but I don't want them to come across something because I used a different name before and go, who is this person and where is this name? And have you been keeping things from me? Because then there's a loss of trust if there's that keeping things. So, so far only my oldest knows and it came up in a conversation and I just wanted, I'm like, if you do have any questions, we can talk about this. So I want her to feel open about that. But there are certain things that's like, details about that kind of stuff, we're probably not going to go. Yeah, you're not going to know. And you can't, and they can't
1: know. And you'll never know those things either. So that's more of what I I, I find really interesting. Like how Mm -hmm. much do you know? And you think you know your parents, but actually you don't. And you no. really don't know your grandparents. No, right? no. And you really, really don't know your great grandparents. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what did it's my easy alive for
0: you? Because a lot of us they weren't even yeah. alive when we were born. Yeah.
1: Right. Like, what were my grandparents and my great-grandparents thinking? Like, if I could time travel and go back <laughs> to that room, to that moment where they said we're leaving Russia. What right? what era was there. it that they left? They were leaving around World War One, around the Russian Revolution. Yeah. So to sit there and think like Wow, you know, hear that moment because you'll never hear it. You'll never no. know what it's like. And so that's sort of where, what I find so interesting and what I'm
0: writing to. And even if the story got passed down, the perception, and that's something you even kind of address of what the child perceives and then not really understanding what's really going through the parents, their parents' heads while they're making these decisions because they're trying to protect their children in the process. And then you, now you remove it by several generations. It's like, I have no idea what was going through their minds and why they decided to come here or why they decided to take things this way or why they didn't say to do this and what risks they thought they were taking and the, all the cost benefit. That's, And, of course, you you, you do get into that because 1917 is somewhere in your book. I'm not going to say where because this thing, nonlinear. So somewhere <laughs> in here, ni- 1917 might show up at some point in time. Yeah. But I did have to I have to do both my, my science research and my history research to double check some of these things, because you have certain events that happen that are referenced, obviously, Chernobyl and Chernobyl was something I was aware of. And I was aware of the Russian Revolution, but the dates and going, OK, so who would have been alive at which time? And I was trying to figure out, like, OK, how old is RISA? What year was she born? How how far away in age am I from her? Because we're not that far apart from each other. I'm going, OK, if she was in college this year, I was in high school. Okay. I rice. Like, the you consumer. were really connecting to her. I, I, I love try, her. you know, I, I, I try to figure out where those things are and to also figure out, okay, well then what were the parents have been like? And then learning that Anna was a little older when she had her, that puts her a little bit older than what my parents would have been. Cause my parents were, they weren't, my, my mother was not a teen mother. She would, she would be very angry if I suggested she was, but, um, but having younger parents, uh, versus having an older parent changes generationally where you would have been. Yeah. And my parents weren't immigrants. They were in Pennsylvania. That doesn't really count as an immigrant. They immigrated to California. That's that's a thing. Uh-huh. But just the whole idea of, okay, well, what generation are they connecting with? And, and how does she feel like that? And the other thing you really hit on for multiple generations is the idea of feeling like an outsider. I don't know if that was something that you personally drew from or if it was other people in your family's experiences.
1: Um, Well, I mean, I think that you can feel like an outsider, both because, um, you know, you're a little different, you think differently, um, or because you come from a different background, right? And when you're at home, you're not speaking English. You can feel very different than when you walk into a classroom and you don't quite understand like little phrases, Mm -hmm. little, you know, lunch problems like when my great aunt used to pack my lunch for me all the time it was so embarrassing because the like oh, okay. have 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 American lunch
0: so like that's that's totally true that and I I think that's true in for different cultures kids who have different allergies. Um, and, yeah. and I hear about that, about people who are like um, people going, oh, it's it's all well and good now that this kind of food is really trendy, but you you same people made fun of me for packing this lunch as a kid. And, I, and I've never heard of like a school take on, let's talk about lunches and let's talk about everybody's coming to eat and don't right. comment on other people's lunches. And I, had a, I, I actually had my child say that people were commenting about her lunches. And I'm like- What's wrong with your lunch? Do you want something different? And, and it was one of the kids. And I know it's because her mother's very health conscious and thought it was too much processed food. I'm like, you got carrots and apples in there. And are are they mad about the the chips I gave you or, and it turns out that kid buys lunch. So it's like, oh, the fact that it's pre-packed is just, oh, that's just weird. And I'm, yeah. But but people have been doing that for years. I had a friend who had allergies, and so she was always having rice cakes and Vienna sausages because she was allergic to nuts. And she couldn't have gluten, and back then it seemed like that was not as common, and there wasn't gluten-free bread available back then. Right. So people were not. mean to her about that. Like, oh, this is different. So, what was it what was in your lunch? And I think probably everybody probably wants that now because uh,
1: yeah, all, I don't all think so.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, what was it? Definitely not. I mean
1: lots of salami, lots of rye bread, lots of um like
0: schmaltz, which is chicken fat. I okay, mean- I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'll pass on the schmaltz. Yes. But I happen to love salami and rye is my absolute favorite bread so i would like yeah. the salami and the rye i'm not but even when sure when you're next right, right when you're next to kids who have like peanut butter and jelly in an that apple cool. right? cool. however <laughs> the peanut different. butter kids probably have to sit at a different table now because now. there are allergies and it's like ah, salami is safe so yeah salami. that's right uh, that's right now it is next but, like now know. i'm going give me a whole chianti salami and it doesn't even have to be refrigerated just sit there gnawing on it <laughs> that's probably not a way to make friends it's just sitting there non on a whole swamp. I hope they sliced it first nah I just had to sit there chew on it, <laughs> it. Chew on it you know? yeah and you you have so many visceral moments in this book and one of them is like having having Molly going I still smell like chicken fat like wherever I go I still smell like chicken fat and Rice mm-hmm. is like still smell like chicken fat just because they work in a butcher and <laughs> I like how we we watched the the elder generation so lazar is the one who is has first learns how to butcher but we having to see backing okay so he's in a butcher how did he end up from here to running a butcher none of you guys were into that but then seeing the path people took and how physical skills versus necessarily mental skills would be the marketable ones especially when you move to a new area and then their little their market that they run yeah was that something that you pulled from family history yeah, my family did run a butcher shop. Um, and you know, it is
1: true, you know, I've I've knew lots of other um, you know, generations, people who came that, you know, weren't able to practice, like you were saying, anything that they could do with their head, right? Like if you're a physician yeah. in your country or a dentist in your country doesn't yeah. mean that you're that will easily change. The licensing licensing. The
0: licensing yeah. often doesn't. You hear someone who goes like, Oh, you run this this little business. Um, that's that's great. It's like, Yeah, well, I'm a doctor in my country. Right. People, it's like, well, yeah, because it doesn't necessarily translate here and you may not have the time or the money to go back and do that here.
1: Right. Right. So instead, you know, jobs like um, you know, like being a house cleaner or mm-hmm. a butcher or right, something that is more physical or menial or whatever doesn't require the same kind of license is yeah, where exactly. people end up. So you see a well, lot of
0: that. Well, and you about you talk about paperwork too, and not, yes. not just been doing paperwork, but the idea that some of having the having a social security, security card. Yes. It's like, well, which areas check for you and which don't, and are you able to run this or, okay, well, how did you, how did you come over here if there weren't, there weren't papers? And it's like, okay, well, you're an American. And and talking about how differently people will be treated because like, well, you were born here, you're an American. uh, You have to hide in the shadows because you're not. And the fact that that hasn't changed even a little bit, I think, like you still hear about that, everything from the, the dreamer act and all this stuff where it's like, Okay, so because you don't have the right paperwork, the American dream is off limits to you. And and that just that just breaks me every single time. Oh, Joanne yeah. says yes, rye bread and ugh, schmaltz. Okay, I guess Joanne's probably had the <laughs> schmaltz and doesn't doesn't. I don't even know what how do you get the chicken fat is it do you do you, is it cooked? or is it? Yeah. So you have to render I it. You get to, it off the like back of the chicken and okay. you cook
1: it with um, onions or, or garlic and uh-huh. like until it you cook it down till it's clear okay. and then you pour it out and you let it cool. And then you spread it like jelly or peanut butter on bread.
0: See, I'd probably eat that though, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the one, I'm the one in like my, my family, they kind of go back and forth. My husband only eats white meat. Like we're, we're kind of the reverse Jack Sprat okay. where he only wants the white meat. And I'm like, give me the, the, meat with the bone and the ch- the fat still sitting on it. And it's the same with chicken where it's like, oh, here's some of the extra chicken fat and just putting that on my plate. And then I wonder why I'm sick afterwards because I don't I don't have a gallbladder anymore. So I can't actually process any of these things. Oh so I probably gosh. shouldn't try schmaltz. But oh now I kind of want to. I don't know if I, if I go to a local <laughs> deli, if they'll be able to get me schmaltz or if they'll look at me like, what are you talking about? Get out of
1: here. I love that we're talking about this. I mean, yes. you could like render an entire big jar of it. Right. Yes. And mm-hmm. then you just spread it like so, you have it for a month. That's what that's how, and then, it, then you just it keep, in my family. what else
0: do you do with it? And that's kind of also the idea of a non waste culture of, hey, yeah. we don't have a lot. So here's this perfectly good thing that has good things we need. And I know in American culture today, oh, fat is bad. And I keep telling my children, fat is necessary for your brain. So how about you go eat some more fat? All right. Yeah. <laughs> and different <laughs> kinds of fats are different and, and all that stuff. And I'm not trying to give anybody like, an artery clogging meal but I mean schmaltz will probably do it just inject it straight in not a good (laughs) idea yeah Joanne says yes it's very fatty no one's saying you have to go try it afterwards Joanne it's fine um (laughs) but having having all this and and doing all this with everything from the oh okay okay Jen has to say my husband is obsessed with Russian rye bread he talks about it all the time her husband is Russian and therefore probably knows like the best Russian rye and can can direct us to the right or it's actually black bread it probably it probably is because I've seen different kinds where there's barely any caraway. But I'm also I've had different things where I will just take the jar of caraway seeds and just dump it directly on what I'm eating. It's kind of hard to chew, but I don't care. I really I really like the flavor. The, the caraway is what's in the rye bread, the little seeds for people who are like, what are you talking about caraway seeds? Sorry, can't help it. There was food involved and therefore I got distracted by the food, which I usually do. Uh, the <laughs> other thing you, you have in here, you also have in here these people who are doing math contests. Yes. Do people People actually watch math contests? I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't you? What are you watching them do? Amazing. You can watch <laughs> them. I mean, it's like a debate <laughs> or whatever, right? But, but, but it's a debate. They're talking. Are they talking through the math? Are you watching them? Are they doing it on a whiteboards? Because, right? No, oh, right, but you so get it. like you hear the question and then yeah. you wait for the answer. And okay. sometimes if it's with teams, like in this yeah. in the book, it wasn't. It was individual. But right. if there was a team, like the
1: team come together.
0: Everybody's seen now Spider Man Homecoming where they've got the, like the academic decathlon team and they're answering the questions. We've all seen that. I think there was probably an episode of Save by the Bell with that too. There was an episode of Say by the bell of everything. So probably. <laughs> but everybody knows that. I've never heard of like a math competition. I mean, yes. I did mock trial. I I did JSA. We never had like a math competition. I don't think our area was necessarily good enough at math. So maybe <laughs> not. That could have been just don't mean to slam Anaheim. We weren't necessarily known for our math. Still, so they're they're doing these individual things. And this is this is one of the sweetest moments because this is when when Daniel's like I'll watch you. She's like, Niki, why would you want to watch me? And I'm like, I'm with you. Why would you want to watch him? But but Daniel, for people who haven't had a chance to read the book yet, well, because it came out today. So you're all forgiven for not having read it today. There will be a quiz next week. You have, you have a week to read this. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, but Risa is the youngest in the the generation of three women with Anna, Molly, who was originally Manya, and then Raisa, and she does math because unlike her mother, who's like, no math, Raisa, that's that's her language. And she just intuitively understands this. And one of the characters she connects with is another immigrant from Russia, who is still learning the language, still feels more of an outsider because she was born here and he was not. And he stays and watches her math composition. It's like, that's the sweetest way to ever, I, I don't know. Aww, I just, thanks. She, I'm glad you like it. I she, mean, she, I love it, a good... Yeah. And I love a good love story. So I had to throw that in. Well, and you do, because I wouldn't say, Oh, this is, this is a romance. It's not a romance guys. It's not a romance, but it's, it has the feels that I require for romance. Like the, the joke for this show is I, I have the the genres that I do and sometimes they cross, sometimes they're (laughs) nowhere near each other, but the number one thing I need for any romance, either as a story or as a storyline is the feels and the connection. And I just love these two characters together. There was something so sweet, and i don't want to say naive but very innocent about them and you rarely read stories like that where it doesn't come across as okay we're back to schmaltz schmaltzy because there was nothing schmaltzy about about their relationship and it was the the healthiest of any of the relationships that you depicted cuz the rest we have to talk about some of these dysfunctional relationships we have going on for multiple generations uh with with anna and her husband who it's is i'm going to get his name right is vasha yasha yasha yeah. okay because the two of them that was not the best relationship and then yulia and lazar are like step parents theirs right. was more healthy but then we get to Molly and victor and yeah. yeah please tell me there's no victor in your family tree
1: so oh, look, look at the tree Beautiful family tree in the finished book. Mine doesn't have a family tree. I know. So, we had this problem as the book was coming out. Yeah. Um, I found that there's, as I got more and more readers, and it wasn't yeah. just, you know, like my mom and my yes. editor.
0: Mom <laughs> <all> loved it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, people were getting lost with all the characters. <sighs> and so, I said, you know, I really pushed hard and I was like, we need mm-hmm. a family tree. We just need to do yeah. that. And I have, so in the end, we have this gorgeous family yeah. tree. That explains everything, including the fact that Molly is Manya in Russia, right? And everything is in there. So um, is Lazar's sister in there too? Because I see Lazar, but I don't see his sister. No, no. You just see that. Can I just write it in? You could write it in. Yeah, that would be fine. What about
0: his sister? She's there too. We
1: didn't go that deep. That's but, okay. you know, there are so many characters. And in a very typical Russian novel, like Dostoevsky type novel, you get like the cast of characters and it's a big oh, okay. like five page intro on each one. So I did not want to do that, but mm-hmm. I was very excited to do the family tree.
0: Well, and but- I didn't feel like there were too many characters like the the Yasha versus Vasha. Honestly, I think that I know a a dancer with that name. So I'm probably just turning him into a ballroom dancer. That's my own problem, but, <laughs> but trying to make sure I'm like, okay, so this pair, pair goes here and then doing that. I didn't have too much trouble following it, but it also helps that you have comics with each one of them that you go with atomic Anna, and then Mighty Minerva, although now you've I'm changed the right. name again from Molly to Manya. Or it's Manya, Molly, Minerva. It's all the same person. If it's an M, yeah. it's the middle one. I know. And then but the people
1: have loved the Daniel character. And in yes. particular, um, one of my artists, Angela Wu, drew him and yeah, and drew um Yasha. And they're just amazing. And the fan response to those two
0: <laughs> yes. has been like amazing, like the sexy scientist, yes. <laughs> or, like sexy butcher. People People's guys are t- touching it's like ooh, their thighs touch they're just (laughs) sitting in a lab but their thighs were touching it's like ooh, I didn't even realize that that was a thing well I mean it it is funny because I'm usually reading multiple books at a time and I try to always do One in my ear, one in the computer, and one physical. And it lets the different medium lets me kind of separate them so I don't combine things. Um, But since I finished your book a couple days ago, I picked up the book that I had on hold, which is The Love Hypothesis, which is like, hmm, this is also romance with STEM. Very, very different. But it's like, oh, I wonder if their thighs are going to touch in the laboratory. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's this expectation for me that you've started, Rachel. So I'm going to blame you if it doesn't happen. (laughs) I give the book two stars. No thighs touched in the laboratory. (laughs) Total fail. But, but again, I, I even loved how you had this this relationship between Yulia and Anna that isn't like any other relationship I've ever read because it's kind of inexplicable. it's it's more than sisters, yeah. I'm and so that's okay. It's more than sisters, and it's because they aren't related. and it's more than a friendship. And yet, it's not exactly romantic, but there are those feelings too. And then the relationship's changing, and how Anna feels towards Yulia when Yulia is with Lazar, and then this own person in her relationship, and like not really knowing what to do with him half the time. Going, well, well Anna, I like you, but I don't really know, and it's not like Yulia, how I feel about her, but yeah. I guess you can stay. I mean, that was
1: Anna's first love was Yulia, you know, so. Really, I wanted to explore that and this idea of, you know, heartbreak and you can still move on. So maybe it was different. Right. But but she still, you know, she gave her child to her first love. I don't think
0: she would have been able to do that with anybody other than Yulia. And especially knowing, and a slight spoiler, but that Yulia had wanted children and couldn't have children. And Anna was really not trying for the baby that showed up. And that's kind of how life works, too, that the people who are like, (laughs) I really want children and nothing's working. And someone else is like, well, here's a kid that I don't know how this showed up. (laughs) right? I'm a parent now. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Right, but there was, it was a beautiful relationship, and the the complexities of all the relationships were just handled just dynamically, so that it wasn't okay. All the relationships look the same, and all of them are either perfect or all of them are dysfunctional. They were all kind of on this gradient of let's rank them and let's <laughs> let's send them all to group therapy. They could get a discount rate. Honestly, yeah, they would need it. They, they would, would need, need it. it. They would need. They could probably pay in schmaltz. Like here you go. <laughs> i don't know how else you pay for it i don't know what they're doing in, in little russia as far as being able to have family therapists for multi-generation i mean they would just beat each other or something i don't know that's not, not that is not a healthy approach violence is not the answer to emotional <laughs> speech, no matter what the academy awards might tell you oh we're right not, we're not going there that's that's fine i need to take off uh Jen's black bread comments been there. Okay. And and Linda says she really enjoys a healthy relationship in a story. And I do too. And I Thank think it's, you. you kind of need both kinds because sometimes as a reader, if you see something that's so idealized, you end up feeling like, well, I can't connect to that. Yeah. But then if, if everything's always bad, then there's no hope. Right. And if there's one thing that this story absolutely has, it's so much hope, even in, in the spite of tragedy and government oppression and All of these things, there's still hope and hoping that things can be better either for us or for the next generation.
1: Well, I mean, Reza and Daniel also are young still. Yes. And I think it's easy to over-sexualize or over, I don't know, give too many complicated feelings to yeah. younger relationships that are really much more about, you know, raw emotion or <laughs> raw sexual tension as opposed after to- After right, he's been doing all those
0: push-ups. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> exactly. As opposed to like the deep, heavy, you know, by the time you're in your forties, like there's so much other stuff going on when you think uh-huh. about love and relationships and kids, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but when you're 20, It's like, you're hot. <laughs> and right there's a lot of hormones there's a lot of hormones and there's just a lot of and I think I want to go to college and I've got to get good grades and I also want to really kiss you right so there is a simplicity <laughs> to it that I did want to capture because I think a lot of people try to gloss over that and make children's or teenage relationships they're not kids you know much more complicated than many of them are in fact
0: oh I think that's I think that's very true and I think sometimes especially if you're reading YA if that's the driving story they probably need to in order to to make it just more interesting than just this passion. But when right. it's one of many, many storylines, I right. think you can, you can make it more realistic and more believable and more true exactly. without without losing anything where people are like this many pages for, for just that, like, just right. that's, like, no, no, there's right. a lot going on in there. You're, you're good. You're that's good.
1: absolutely right. If that was the, you know, heart of the novel, it would have been very boring. <laughs> it would
0: have been a much <laughs> smaller book and that's yeah. yeah one of the questions I have. So we might be getting a, merchandise for the comic books and maybe something like that along the line do we get bear pendants and where do I get a bear pendant oh thank you I would like bear pendant I'm sorry I like I, I don't wear a lot of jewelry I have like two necklaces I have earrings I occasionally remember to put in my head till the ears <laughs> like the holes close but every so often something comes up and the bear pendants are central to the novel they are beautifully designed and the bear at rest the bear at war I just I love that so much. And I'm going, do these exist and may I have one? <laughs> like, how do I get how do I get merch? Oh, I love it. Thank you. They're totally in my head. They don't
1: okay. exist. But I just love the idea of, right, you have two sides to every person, someone yes. at war, right? Your side at war and your side at peace. And which one will you find and how do you
0: balance them? So it was a big symbol in the book. It like smacked Huge. you
1: over your head a little bit too much, it, maybe. But it, I No, not,
0: not too much, but it was also very Russian with the bears. And again, I'm going back to the great and Catherine's got like the bear just following her around for a while. It's like, are bears really tame? And considering like the one Russian cartoon my children have seen is Masha and the Bear, that I think in my head bears are domesticated in yeah, Russia, which is not true. They're not. I really do like the bears. Yeah, like, they bears will hurt great. you. Do not. They go will hurt bears. you. They are not pets. We are not domesticating bears. No, do not go my, near bears. My middle, who it's her birthday today, thinks foxes should be domesticated, and we're like, we're not buying you a fox. So no, sorry, no, do kid. Not- pet a fox either no no (laughs) i've seen some people do that but she got a a new fox stuffy and is all about foxes right now so i guess it could be worse she could want a pet bear we're like no we're not getting you a bear either that is not a good choice so this is your second novel what is in the works after this
1: so the next book that I'm writing is uh, very different. <laughs> very, very different. It is set um, at uh, 9-11 down at the site where the World Trade Center fell. I was there. And you're just like blowing things up then because we've got
0: explosions and then more explosions and things, people, lots of people dying. I know.
1: And yeah, I, okay. I was down there and oh. uh it's not a memoir it's definitely fiction i don't okay. write memoir and i just um felt like it was time like i can do yeah. this i can finally write about it so that well and what. it's
0: it's not so close anymore that i think people would be open to reading it i think if you would have written this book 10 years ago we would have been like no i'm not i'm not ready to revisit that just yet i don't yeah. i'm not ready to go yeah. back and you, and you were there we said hedge fund manager so were you working in that area at the time yeah. So I was down on Maiden Lane. I was literally
1: next door. I mean, I oh. was literally there. I saw the whole thing. And um yeah, it was it was very, very, very scary. Right. But um again, I will have a woman at the center, a very smart woman. And uh, right, she is the, the hero, she's leading the day and pushing forward. And so hopefully
0: I can come back on your show and yes. we can talk about it then. Well, and if there if there's not enough science for me to qualify this, if this is will it still be sci-fi? Um, I does it think fit in the speculative realm, realm? What, what genre would you pitch this as? And I'm yeah. honestly, genre pitching is my weakest point possibly ever where I'm like, I don't even know anymore.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I don't think of myself as having any sort of magical realism or whatever in no. sci-fi in my books. And yet I wrote a whole book about a time machine. So,
0: uh-huh. so here like, I am. A hard sci-fi and that's right. totally fine. But right. at the same point in time, there are these different elements that kind of flow in and out. And you're telling me 9-11 and that it's not a memoir. So we're like, okay, we're taking that out of the narrative nonfiction realm. And yeah. it is what? And yet there is a magical ship. So it's like, <laughs> there. so like, yes. Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: So it's not, so I'm telling you, like in my head, I'm like, it's really fiction and it's, you know, there's nothing in it that they signed, and yet there's a magic ship.
0: So we'll <laughs> see. Like, I <laughs> can't help myself. It just showed up. <laughs> It just, up. It, does. it just shows up and no one really plans for it. No one it expects does. a magical ship. It's fine. It does.
1: It's fine. I mean, I guess I think it, like letting your imagination go is what stories
0: are for. Right. It's, exactly. it's easier, easier to say something with, with a magic ship than like, right. Well, yeah. We can work. always, we just hide. I know I just hide my life behind. Like I just put my characters, it's just me in a different color wig. And then I'm like, this is how I worked through this trauma. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! that works and so you when send i them in to- a time machine too i know i know and and i've i've addressed time but not time machines wow. and and i've addressed um pizzly bears because they're so bears are still close to my heart i'm like there is such a thing as a pizzly bear i did not make that up um and anyway, a polar bear meets grizzly bears and apparently oh, they breed they are not supposed to but they do wow. those bears get on a lot more than the panda bears because those pandas don't We're even back know to, to just it. raw hormones. I know. Poor, <laughs> poor bears and their hormones. The bears and their hormones. It's very sad. But anyway, I just was asking because, so this show is supposed to be speculative fiction, science fiction, science fiction, and romance, and Vox Vomitus, which is a, a show that I co-host with Jennifer Ann Gordon. That's all genres. So it's like, if if we can't allow you through the doors of the science fiction, there's another place that we will definitely want to talk about your book. But if there's Great. a magic ship, you're fine. You're fine. Magic ship. <laughs> you had me at magic ship. Okay. Great. And with, and with that, we'll let you go finish writing your book. Or are you in the editing stage now? Where are you with it? Um, I feel like editing is constant from day oh, one. Well, for me. Yeah. Right? Well, I do. I know some people everyone has a different process. Some people are very much a vomit draft. And then yeah. afterwards they go back and fix things, I'm the kind where I will mess with the first sentence until I like it and maybe won't get very far because that's just how I work. And then hopefully then, unless an editor outside myself tells me to fix things, it should be done when I'm done, at least for first draft purposes. So you're, you're editing as you go. Yeah. And but we'll
1: see, I, but I, I'm editing, you know, all the way up into the end. So I am. Yeah constantly in the editing stage
0: exactly exactly (laughs) like it never stops editing is just purgatory I'm still here I'm still editing It it is well I'm I'm excited to read that next one I actually need to go back and find your first one too because this was this was a book where I got to be discovering a new author who wasn't really a new author anymore because this is brand new book but it's not your debut so everybody if you haven't pre-ordered this or going and buying this please do you can go find the first one which is a, Bend. a Bend in the stars which also sounds pretty sci-fi to me and then look for it does the third one have a title yet no we're working a working title yeah still working titles, titles will change titles get thrown out the window and then someone publishes a book with nothing to do like yours but has the same title and then that one gets just no that's a nightmare. You're that's like a nightmare. you don't want that try again <laughs> it's so much fun to talk to you thank, thank you so you. much i'm so glad you could join me today happy release day thank everybody you. please go out okay. yes get get your copy of atomic anna and we will be back on may 3rd with <laughs> andrew DeYoung with the attempts and i just look at that it's, it's that is so an so amazing good. cover isn't that fun and yes. and the premise is they're underemployed underpaid and trying to survive the end of the world while trapped in an office complex i also want to play it as I a video game so somehow it's a book. I'll have to read it and find out. I'll i have to totally started. read that. I'm going to go get a copy. You're like, um, go find it. I don't know if it's out yet. I think you probably have to get it on. I'm going to write to the publicist. Like, please give me a copy of the Pretty Shiny Green book. Yes. You're famous. <laughs> you can do that. Uh, you, you were featured today in the New York Times. I just posted up just before I, I came live. I'm like, New York Times. Yeah. yeah. That's dream. That's Congratulations. Great. Thank you. Wait, go party, Rachel. We'll let you go. <laughs> thank you, everybody. <laughs> have a awesome, thank you. You're welcome. See you later, guys.